Hi everybody and welcome back to the Agility Rose Talking Train podcast. This episode is something that I'm very, very excited about and I'm so excited to share it with you guys. So I was honoured to be able to interview Yana from Dogs for Motion. We had some great questions sent in from listeners and hopefully you'll find it helpful. I'm sure you will. I definitely did. And we discussed, obviously, your questions around canine care for when it comes to conditioning and rehabilitation and in general with your warm-up. So definitely um, hang around to the end because there is a super exciting discount code that Yana has been very gracious in sharing for us. So that will give you 20% off the Agility Fundamentals Canine Conditioning course that Dogs for Motion have online. So if you hang around to the end, you will hear that. And I would anyways, because the information in this podcast was phenomenal and I am super excited to share this. So we'll get into it and enjoy. But before we get started, I just want to say a huge thank you to our podcast sponsors. We are very proudly sponsored by Nailer Agility and Pause Trading. So to give you some more information about those two lovely agility businesses, Nailer Agility specialise in tunnels and we've been testing out their new non-slip plus range of tunnels. I train outdoors all year round. I have no nice indoor area to be in, so my dogs are out whether it's rain or shine. And the tunnels have held brilliantly. I'm really, really impressed by them. We have the blue version. And what I love most about Naila is the attention to detail and the amount of information they take on from feedback and put that into the products themselves. So for example, their non-slip plus range are in beautiful light colors and I'm very, very impressed with the quality of the tunnels that we've been testing out for them. So do give Naila a look. They have a new brilliant agility website and I'll link that in the show notes. I do have a discount code as well for them. So if you use the code Elise10, E-L-I-S-E, number 10 and you should receive 10% off all of your orders so do check them out they're a fantastic family business and they're always happy to help if you have any questions in addition we are super proud to be sponsored by pause trading who are a fantastic family-run agility products business they sell everything and anything you can imagine that you might need when it comes to owning an agility dog. Whether that's your tug toys, your treats, anything you need, they will have. They also sell beds, bowls, all sorts of things you can imagine. And I always feel very relieved if I forgot something and I know these guys are at a show because I can imagine they have it there and I'm all good to go panic over so do have a look on their website they have a huge range of products available with great offers and a very very fair price as well so when it comes to your agility toys they have their own made products which are the pause made tug toys and I can guarantee you there is something for every dog I have a variety of pet dogs myself and the toys we've been testing out have been incredible and so helpful in their training and like I say they adapt and they have so many options to suit every dog same goes for the treats as well whether it's pate whether it's a high value smelly treat or whether it's their own grain free training treats they have something to suit everyone and every dog so give them a look check them out they're in the show notes the link to their website and as i say i always do a review on the monthly products that we receive and i can guarantee you whatever we've tried is phenomenal i'm very very proud to be sponsored by pulse trading so thank you everyone um for listening so far and thank you pause trading and Naila for all your continued support and without further ado let's get into the episode so everyone that's obviously listening and um, for anyone that doesn't know of you um would you be able to introduce yourself your dogs how long you've been practicing for and what inspired you to have a career in canine rehabilitation 
Hi, hi. My name is Jana Gams, and I am veterinarian and a certified canine rehabilitation practitioner. I am the founder of Docs Motion Canine Rehabilitation and Sports Medicine Center that is located in Slovenia, Central Europe, where I work with canine clients and their owners on a daily basis, including participants of World Agility, World Agility Championships and other big international events. I'm also the founder of Docs Motion Academy, that is an international online teaching platform that provides trainers all around the world with useful information and knowledge in the form of online training courses about canine conditioning and physical well-being, um, agility training courses, and puppy training courses. So Elise, I would like to return one question here because I know you really? also participate <laughs> in some of our online courses. Yes. What do you think about them from you know user's experience? Oh, I am blown away, if I'm honest. I'm, you know, the actual kind of content is so amazing in terms of the, the obviously intricacy, the detail. And I love that you can actually go along at your own pace. So there's no kind of like time limit to it. You can go along and, and follow through, at, you know, a comfortable pace for you. Um, and I really do like, again, like the attention to detail with it. I mean, I've done the um, warm up and cool down course. I've done the canine massage and obviously the fundamentals. And oh, honestly, I'm absolutely obsessed with it. Um, I think it's, again, like the detail that goes into it and just the information, the way it's kind of relayed. Um, you know, you're still getting that scientific knowledge there, but actually in a more kind of user friendly way. Um, so I think it's I think it's brilliant. That's why I invited you on because I was just blown away by it. <laughs> Great, thanks. So apart from being like course creator and a rehab professional myself, I'm also an active competitor in agility and FCI obedience myself. And I currently have 19 years of experience in dog sports training. And I'm currently an owner to three border collies, Bree, oh. Jeannie, and Tide, aged 12 and a half, nine and a half, and one year and a half. Oh. Um, my interest in rehab that you've asked, um, uh, in rehab and conditioning exercises actually began when my second border college, Jeannie, got injured at a very young age of nine weeks. Oh, so God. what happened was I was carrying her downstairs and we both fell. And so my puppy, she ended up with a fracture of the tibia. She had to undergo surgery. And yeah, we also missed quite some important weeks of puppyhood. Mm -hmm. So I was still a vet student then with very little clue about rehab even existing, mm -hmm. yet how much one can make in the terms of improved physical well-being and also ability of dogs. Yes. So the leg healed well after surgery. We began training agility and obedience. She was doing fine, actually. And at one point, I got an opportunity to sign up for a preventative musculoskeletal checkup from a professional mm -hmm. abroad. And this is when I learned that such things as muscle imbalance and loss of range of motion actually exist. And I think this was my breaking point. This is what I want to do in my life, you know. Mm -hmm. So taking on further studies about rehab and sports medicine, um, practicing it, and coming up with all these possible conditioning exercises that mm -hmm. dogs can enjoy participating in and, and benefiting them. And in the end, this is what motivates also the owners um, to continue practicing them to, to further gain benefits. Yes. And I also learned that you can target these weaknesses and improve them with rehab and with conditioning exercises. So you see, I love training dogs. I also train them for sport performances. I train them in fun tricks and I even train them to act in commercials and movies at a certain oh, part wow. of my past. So now imagine me learning, I can take on conditioning exercises that look like fun tricks while addressing my dog's physical weaknesses to in fact, improve their performance abilities and help prevent further injuries or, or compensatory changes that could otherwise develop within, within their bodies. So that's how it all started. <laughs> I love that and I think as well I really like that you touched on there that you know conditioning and the exercises we can do to help our dogs are actually you know again are just another part of like a trick you know it, from what I've done in your course so far a lot of it is like you say it's things that we can teach our dogs but are going to have a massive benefit physically um, and it's really nice like I say to hear that because I think people sometimes look at conditioning and, and maybe sometimes shy away because they think oh you know I need to have that kind of knowledge of how to do things but you know actually again with your course it's all again just like a learning process like any other trick 
which is awesome. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Lovely. So, um, as I say, we've had lots of amazing questions sent in. And um, just to begin with, I think this is one that's obviously very commonly asked. Um, so as a professional in canine rehabilitation, what agility related injury do you see most often, which could be um, lessened or prevented through regular body conditioning? I would definitely say tendon injuries, mm -hmm. especially in the shoulder area. So yeah. the supraspinatus, bicep tendinopathies, and of course the iliopsoas, tendon strains. So yeah. we have a wonderful paper out there by, by Ariel Pachette-Markley that was researching the frequency and types of orthopedic conditions and injuries experienced by dogs competing in agility. Mm -hmm. So the findings of this internet-based survey indicate that among dogs participating in agility competitions and trainings, uh, injuries to the shoulder region were mm -hmm. significantly more prevalent than injuries in other parts of the body. And the second most common injuries were related to the iliopsoas muscle. Mm -hmm. So yes, I do have to admit, I can definitely confirm the findings as these two areas are also the areas I see most often injured in my practice. So in addition to the supraspinatus, bicep, and iliopsoas injuries, um, we also see many toe injuries, um, mm -hmm. injuries to the gastrocnemius muscle, and also medial shoulder instabilities. But what is more, most of these injuries do not appear to be acute and traumatic. Mm -hmm. um, so the majority of these tendinopathies evolve as a response to the chronic overload happening over a period of time. So this is why it usually takes such a long time before they get diagnosed because dogs can cope really really well until the owner or or the trainer realizes that there might be a problem mm -hmm. because in the beginning we might only see a slightly shortened step or two after rest that only shows after really intense activities such as after agility training sessions but yeah. otherwise the dog appears totally normal or we might spot just like a, a slight change in how the dog performs the weaves or runs across a dog walk. And because of this chronicity of the problems, we can really do so much to help lessen or even prevent such injuries in the long term. So first would be definitely adequate conditioning, mm -hmm. meaning we can help strengthen these areas to better cope with all the stress happening with jumping and landing after jumps and A-frames with decelerating forces before they wrap a jump or enter weaves and so on. So this can directly help the tissues to withstand these forces better. And indirectly, conditioning exercises also help the dog develop superb core strength that helps the dog to move more efficiently. So for example, a dog who has a strong core will be able to land after a jump decelerate before weaves and turns much more efficiently using their whole body and core as opposed to perhaps a dog that lacks the core strength and needs to rely within these actions only on their, for example, shoulder strength. Mm -hmm. And the next thing, we can also help lessen injuries by adapting our training sessions. Yeah. So how long we train, how frequent we train, what type of exercise we do on a weekly basis, and not to forget proper warm-ups before and cool-downs yeah. after activities to immediately help better prepare the tissues for the upcoming work and to provide optimal regeneration after. So we delve very deeply in this topic within our Agility Dynamics in Control course. Mm -hmm. So the type of injuries and how to help prevent them. So if you're interested in hearing more about this course, make sure you stay with us on this podcast until the very end. Absolutely. Yes. And I think, like you say, you know, with your conditioning work, there is so much you can do to help, you know, one, prepare the dog and their bodies. I know I watched a video recently of a, um, a border collie on the dog walk, but because it had that kind of level of conditioning, it was able to manage its body when there was a stumble. But, you know, for dogs that haven't got that, I imagine that's where an injury would occur. And, and as you say, dogs can you know go for a while without actually showing us the signs they can cope with a lot of pressure and I guess with conditioning would that be where you maybe would notice you know those subtle changes as well yeah also I think with conditioning you also develop like a very observing eye mm -hmm. to really see how the dog is performing a certain exercise and I think this can be translated immediately also in observing our dogs how they move on the agility field like really be more precise in the observing uh, part of yeah our our dogs 
absolutely lovely um and like i say i think for you know for everyone that's kind of listening it's really important for you know to be able to one spot those differences and, and learn how to spot that and as you say on your course you discuss more in detail about you know the injuries and and whatnot but yeah i think it's a massive area where you know you can prevent things before it's you know too late where you're gonna have to have a lot more rehab um, no, yeah, awesome. yeah. Um, and, and actually acting before they really arise as a big yeah. problem so yeah. I think observing our dogs is really really important absolutely couldn't agree more lovely um I love this next question I think it's a really interesting one um are you happy with that one do you want to move on yes fab. um so what's the best balance of basic conditioning versus training for a very young puppy um should you concentrate on one more than the other at a certain age would it change as they grow well we all know that raising a pup requires like basic behavioral training yeah. um cooperative care husbandry you know just learning about life in general yeah. so we know that puppies should have the time to explore and to take part in fun motivational games and in addition, with, with our future agility champs, we also want to lay some foundations for our upcoming sport, right? Yes. So how should we also fit some conditioning in? Well, although in puppies and young dogs, we don't really speak about conditioning um, just yet. Um, puppies are not meant to be working out really to gain muscle mass in the same mm -hmm. way as adults just yet. So what we are focusing on with puppies is, in fact, taking part in easy and fun foundational exercises that work on their balance, on their body awareness skills, all in a safe environment. So these are exactly also the exercises that I teach in our online Fundamentals for Puppies fitness course. So it is important to know that balance and proprioceptive work, it really forms the foundation for all other exercise and activity in our puppies' lives. So what is then the best balance between everything? So although it all depends on our goals, I do think we can divide it. And let's say from short daily sessions, daily training sessions, at least one of them should be dedicated to help them evolve their proprioception. So that is the body awareness and, and balance work. So this could come in the form of meeting different surfaces, being taught basic behaviors and positions that build confidence and develop proper mechanics while the puppy grows and evolves. So at least one session should be working on the puppy's proprioception abilities and the rest of the daily training sessions you can really spend for any other suitable bit of training you want to lay um, solid foundations to. Yeah. Um, now, if you want, I can also go and try to divide a little bit the, the, the dog through the growing phases. Um, yeah. So time-wise, what we can start with, so we can start with balance and proprioception work already at the age of eight weeks mm -hmm. and continue, of course, for the entire life of the dog. <laughs> and from, from about the age of 16 weeks and onwards, we can then add some flexibility, some range of motion exercises. Mm -hmm. Then the next, let's say... Uh, step from about the age of six months on we can then start focusing on the development of skills for yeah. specific work or sport so this is usually also the time that we start with adding more strengthening exercises in the conditioning sessions so building strength is now going to be an important part of our dog's physical well-being yeah. that will support their weaknesses facilitate their sport or work and protect them from injury so mostly six months and onwards and really large breeds i would say nine months and on yeah um and then as puppies grow we then want to slowly also layer our exercise and stimulation according to development and ability so that we first build a strong foundation in their mind and in their bodies and then add to that foundation as they grow um, and just a touch to the endurance, endurance component can be worked on only once dogs reach adulthood. Yeah. And when they only have, when they do have a strong foundation of proprioception, of flexibility and strength to build on. So therefore, until 14 months of age, more or less, in some spayed and neutered dogs until 20 months. Mm -hmm. And this cardiovascular endurance, along with muscular endurance, can be built through activities such as running or swimming. Yeah. And stamina in a specific task or activity 
can be built by performing that activity for longer durations. So I hope I haven't gone too broad with this question, but <laughs> yeah. if I return back to your original question, I don't think you should concentrate on one training more than the other. Mm -hmm. Each is, I believe, just equally important. It's just about adjusting the difficulty and the duration of the training sessions that are going to change as puppies grow. Amazing. I think, yeah, that that is a, a fantastic answer for that. As again, with that question, it's so individual as well and, and so, such a broad one. Um, but I think you, like I say, with that really have given a good indication of what to kind of look at for each age group. And yeah, as you say, you know, puppies are developing all the time, but, you know, there's things we can do that are appropriate um, for their age. And as you touched on there, obviously you've got the course based on um, puppies and, and their conditioning. But um, no, amazing. Um, I'm very Yeah, like because say, I'm very I, I think you can, a new owner can be really like overwhelming yeah. uh overwhelmed uh when they get a new puppy and mm -hmm. you have to do this and this and this and just make sometimes just seeing us kind of like a, a schedule of things can yeah. can help you out definitely absolutely like i say there's so many things to obviously learn you know about the cooperative care the the um the general training of just being a, a you know a good member of society there's so much that goes into it but as you say having that kind of understanding of okay i can work on this between this age group and then add these other things in as they grow is so helpful to know that's brilliant thank you exactly um, <laughs> they're amazing um so this next one which again i think is a super interesting one um what three things would you wish owners of sport dogs did more often to help their dog's conditioning and mobility? So I would say, number one, we have to ensure that your dog has sufficient physical strength by yeah. engaging in canine conditioning training sessions. And we do so at least three times a week. Mm -hmm. And within these sessions, we should cover strength. We should cover range of motion, um, balance and proprioception needs of a canine athlete. And the more sport specific conditioning it is, the better. Mm -hmm. But we must always lay solid foundations and achieve general athletic fitness first. Yeah. Then number two, regularly have your dog checked by a qualified professional. Yes. So schedule preventative musculoskeletal checkups once, twice a year and consider additional massage and manual therapy sessions as needed. You too can do a lot at home as an owner with, like we already mentioned, observing your dogs during and after the training activities. Um, learning to use some massage techniques and passive range of motion checks on your own dog on a regular basis. But I do believe that a thorough hands-on checkup by a professional will ensure that your dog is physically really sound and can participate in your chosen activities safely. Yeah. And as a number three, keep your dog in good shape by monitoring their body weight and providing optimal nutrition. So I see a lot of extremes in my practice, mm -hmm. um, also in the athletes, that some of them are carrying extra weight that surely puts more stress on their joints during activities. And on the other hand, I also see many underweight athletes that surely lack sufficient muscle development and therefore, of course, strength. Mm -hmm. So it all comes down to balance in yeah. the quality and in the quantity of food and overall um, nutritional support interesting and that, that last point was really interesting for me especially knowing that you know actually you get dogs that are the other end of the scale because obviously we hear a lot about excess weight but how it can affect them if they're underweight as well which is really really like say eye-opening um for people listening to be obviously aware of their dog's levels um but no I think that's a very good point and you know with the canine massage as you say it's really important that they they're seeing professionals but like you say obviously with your course I know when I did it um I couldn't believe actually how simple it was just to do a small massage on my dogs in between their visits and how beneficial that would be as well um and the difference it's made and obviously when they're going for their their checkups the you know they're noticing that actually the dogs are more supple you know they're they're more relaxed in in their environment anyways when they're used to those kind of techniques yeah um, yeah I see this with with the owners that I work with in my rehab practice I see this the same I always teach them a couple of easy massage techniques and it's such a difference when they visit the second time or or in the next like regular appointments I see like tremendous improvement in their physical um, well-being and you know just it it really works and I do 
I would really like to encourage all owners to to do more with their dogs, also with your hands. Yes, absolutely. And like I say, you know, for a dog to get used to that with their owner, when it comes to someone new doing it to them, it'll become more second nature, I imagine, and much easier for you as a professional. (laughs) Yeah. And also maybe a little question or not a question, maybe a little hint for, for dogs that dislike touches Mm -hmm. they can be trained to actually accept the touches they might not love them but they can be um, conditioned uh, with positive reinforcement that they accept the touches and you can do like a checkup really really well with them uh, if they're like trained and don't be like scared or frozen when when somebody touches them and that I think it's really important for a canine athlete um, to be able to to get checked Absolutely. Like I say, you know, with our dogs, we've got that increased level of risk of injury. And if our dogs are actually used to one being checked over by a professional and ourselves, it's going to make it so much less stressful when they are injured. And again, for the dog's welfare. Um, Awesome. If you could only choose one condition exercise to practice with agility dogs, which would it be and why? And that must be really difficult as a professional, because I'm sure you've got a whole range. (laughs) (laughs) So nice question, but my answer is surely going to be more complex. <laughs> if I had to come up with one, I would seek for an exercise that would cover all physical needs of an agility athlete who needs to perform a variety of different moves during an agility run. So let's imagine an agility athlete that needs to accelerate needs to decelerate and stop they need to turn they need to climb weave jump so therefore this universal universal exercise it it needs to target the front end and it needs to target the rear end of the dog needs to target their core Um, it needs to work on the range of motion and flexibility of all major joints and muscles and it needs to cover movement in all directions so do you have an exercise as such on your mind (laughs) because I certainly don't (laughs) so if I was to pick one exercise and one only I do believe I would end up forming like a flow of different moves and exercises Mm -hmm. that could be called like a a single exercise but I do think you know now what I would like to point out so the true benefit of canine conditioning lies in the variety of moves and in their specificity and that's the approach I live by yeah Absolutely. I think that's a great answer because as you say, you know, th- there isn't ever going to be one one thing that hits all target areas. Like us, for example, if we go to the gym, there is no one exercise that is going to hit all of our muscle groups. Um, and I think you've hit, you know, a really good point there with our dogs, the actual level of different, you know, they're having an incline, a decline on, you know, for example, the A-frame, different kind of measures of, of movement we expect of our dogs there there's never going to be one particularly that's yep, going to yep, help all yep. of it <laughs> definitely I mean it can be one per day yes. but certainly <laughs> not like one universal one <laughs> absolutely and like I say I think that's a really good point for people who are looking to work on their uh, their dog's movement looking at different exercises to, to try you know try and target those areas um is massive I think it again we wouldn't we wouldn't just do sit-ups and expect to to feel it in our arms or you know just in our arms you know it's going to hit other areas but you know it, it's not going to hit everywhere um so yeah no, I think that's a, a very good point <laughs> brilliant um so this next question and I'm sure you get asked this a lot um with people about equipment when it comes to conditioning but what equipment would you recommend most agility handlers begin with when starting to implement conditioning and strength training into their dog's routines? I would always recommend to start with two stable platforms that mm-hmm. are identical in height yeah. and slightly wider than your dog's body width. Mm-hmm. So this can set your dog up for success and allow you to lay solid foundation to all of the positions and moves uh, before you progress with, with any exercise progression. So to describe these platforms, you have to remember that your platforms must be stable. So that means they should not topple over when your dog stands or or leans on them. They must be low on the ground, both, like I said, of identical height, and they can match the height of your dog's wrists, for example. Mm -hmm. And the third point, they must have a non-slippery surface. Um, In addition... Each of these platforms must be, must be large enough for your dog to stand on it with two of their paws with ease. Yeah. Um, however, it is not necessary that they are of equal length. 
um, in order for you to be able to use these platforms also for all the um, refined sitting and lying down exercises, um, both platforms should be just slightly wider than your dog's body. Yeah. Yep. So for example, I love to use do-it-yourself wooden planks and platforms, um, but you can use like any other object that meets the criteria um, I just spoke about, such mm -hmm. as um, a book that can be covered in a non-slippery surface or even foam balance pads that have a pleasant surface for the dogs to step on. Um, and next to this, I mentioned a non-slip surface. Yes. So in addition to these two platforms that are my absolute, let's say, foundation uh, equipment, I would say you also have to provide a non-slippery surface. So even though it's not a piece of equipment, but something that is of extreme safety importance for any training session. So if you don't have a floor that is non-slippery, I would advise you, um, you to buy, for example, a mat or a carpet that you can put in the room you normally train in or, or have it movable. So you can change its location depending on which room you're training in. So therefore all your equipment as well as the flooring must be covered in a non-slip surface. So that would be my minimum, <laughs> my yeah. beginner starter pack. <laughs> Amazing. And I think that's a really good point because I guess when people start to first look at conditioning, I know the first thing people probably ask you about is what about wobble cushions or what about these kind of like balance balancing um, equipment where, you mm -hmm. know, realistically a solid mm -hmm. um, surface is the best place to start. Um, and Yeah, to, to teach foundations, absolutely. I mean, Training on stable and training on unstable surfaces, they all have their benefits yes. and they're different from mm -hmm. one another. And I think in the end, we do want to incorporate the stable training and also unstable uh, equipment. But it's very hard for the dog to actually start with something that is unstable because they may, might lack confidence um, or they might just, you know, when they learn something and something goes wrong, you will get a bigger mistake on the inflatable. Yeah. So much, much safer to start with the stable platforms. And also when you achieve a very good level of understanding of the exercise, I don't always move to the inflatable surfaces. Mm -hmm. So one of the benefits of the, of the training on the stable surfaces is that it really helps to, to build power and strength in the muscles versus mm -hmm. training on unstable equipment. The dogs are more training their balance component and they train their little stabilizer muscles that help to support their joints and also uh, improve the core engagement. So you kind of want to use both in the end, but I would always start with the stable platforms first. Awesome. I think that's a really, really good suggestion. And like I say, you know, you can make it yourself. It doesn't have to be anything fancy as long as it's stable and it's non-slip and you've got that non-slip surface underneath it. That's a great, great place to start. Absolutely. Um, wonderful. So um, this next question, <clears throat> I think this is great because obviously with agility, there's a lot of people that want careers, um, you know, around the spot. So what advice would you give for anyone starting in the vet therapy industry or looking to start? I think like a motivational quote, um, trust yourself and never ever stop learning. Mm -hmm. um, I do believe that our canine rehab community worldwide is at this very moment really, really awesome. And the support you can get as someone who is only like starting their business is incredible if you only dare to step out and, and seek for information. So I can certainly point out the online pet health platform that is one of the best rehab platforms and communities out there, providing really amazing resources on the rehab and on the business development in this field. So if you are a vet rehabber or want to become one and don't know this platform yet, write it down and make sure you check it out as soon as this podcast is over. Online pet health. And no matter how challenging this field can sometimes be, um, never ever doubt your abilities to think holistically. So I think that would be my recommendation. <laughs>
Lovely. I think that's, yeah, amazing. And it's nice for people who are starting out to have that recommendation of a place to go for more information and support. Because as you say, you know, for someone who's maybe coming into it and not having a clue where to begin, um, that must be a fantastic starting point. And something I imagine, you know, people who've been in the industry for quite some time would have appreciated probably when they started out too. So people definitely need to take advantage of of that um, being available to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so much easier to start your business and I have been there myself a bit more than five years ago or we soon will be six but if I didn't have all these awesome people around me and communities around me that would kind of help me with some information about you know anything that comes up with establishing your own business it would be very very challenging and because I do know how important it is that you get like feedback from someone who already went through, I, I think in the end, this is really, really, um, yeah, of a really high value. Absolutely. And, you know, having that mentor is just, it. you can never put a price on, you know, the 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 reward you get from that, if you like, um, and, you know, the support there. And, and it's amazing. I think nowadays we're very, very fortunate to have such access across the world, in, you know, like we are now. Um, people really should obviously take advantage of that ability to get in touch um, with other professionals and, and learn from them. And like I say, with your courses, you can access that as a, you know, someone who's wanting to go into that profession. You can have a look and, and kind of see that support there as well and, and learn more before, you know, starting out as well. I think um, we're very, very fortunate. And like I say, with your online course, which is just one of a kind, really, um, I think it's it's amazing that, you know, people have that um, option out there for, for them to look at. So amazing. Thank you. Um, <laughs> anything else you want to add to that one? <laughs> no, I think just, just like I said, and in the end, trust yourself and never, ever stop learning. Perfect. I couldn't agree more. I think, like I say, that's the thing with dogs. We're constantly learning. Moving on to the next question. Um, when it comes to the conditioning and massage courses you teach, how often would you suggest handlers practice both with their dogs in order to see improvements? So incorporating conditioning in our dog's routine alongside their existing um, sports training and activities, um, it takes the form of a workout circuit. And this workout circuit is recommended to be done three times a week. Mm -hmm. So if the dog needs to still only learn a certain exercise or, or gain a specific skill, we can go ahead and do short training sessions on a daily basis. But to be able to visibly see improvements in about four to six weeks time, practicing conditioning exercises at least three times a week would really be uh, a recommended frequency. So based on this, in all my online conditioning courses that feature um, pre-made workouts, the plan consists of three weekly workout sessions lasting approximately 10 to 15 minutes each. And additionally, there are two days dedicated for teaching new exercises or for refining behaviors as needed. And this leaves us with the two days that can be dedicated to be free from any conditioning work. Um, massage, mobility exercises, can then ideally fit in on these days that are originally dedicated for the rest and recovery. So I like to give my dogs a complete body work once a month, but you can definitely spend like shorter, five to 10 minute long massage sessions on a weekly basis to help support a certain part of your dog's body that tends to, to get more tense, for example, such as their back or maybe their shoulder area or hip area. And we already mentioned that we also have um, a massage course. So if you're eager to learn a couple of simple massage moves yourself, you're all definitely welcome to join our Let's Learn Dog Massage online course. So in overall, it really doesn't take you much. You only need to get started and keep returning to the training mat. And believe me, your dog will thank you for that because not only is conditioning beneficial for their physical well-being. I can definitely say it is also extremely fun for them. Absolutely. And, you know, I think as well, when you think about it, a 10, 15 minute session, we would probably spend that time, you know, during the day, instead of instead of scrolling on your phone or, you know, waiting for your tea to cook, you can be doing something productive instead and, you know, using that time to your advantage and for your dog's welfare as well. 
Exactly. And I would really like to point out that these sessions really don't have to be long. It's better that they are, that they are more frequent, um, but definitely not once every two weeks, but then for an hour. It's much better to spend like really short 10 minute uh, training sessions, but maybe every other day or, or something like that. And that is definitely going to bring visible improvements in just a couple of weeks. Absolutely. And, and you know, as someone that's followed your um, online training for a while and followed other people who've done it, um, I was really actually um, pleasantly surprised by seeing other people's results as well. I know a few people who I've watched and have done the course for quite some time, the actual structural changes in their dogs, their, their, the way their dog holds their body. It was just incredible to see how that, you know, little and often it makes yeah. such a big difference yeah. to their yeah. actual Overall, we can definitely support their posture um, and not just the posture is easy to be seen because you just like kind of look at the, at the static dog and you see the, their top line, you see how they are holding their legs under their, their body. But on the other hand, we can also see improvements in how they move, how they perform certain tasks. Because in, in the beginning of this podcast, I, I was talking about the core strength and how important it is for the efficient movement. And um, yeah, definitely that is the direct improvement of the performance abilities. Absolutely. I was like I say, I was mesmerized when I saw the difference in the dog's top lines, as you say, and and just the, the way they hold their sit. And it's just incredible that, you know, doing something little and often really does make such a huge difference. And especially for a canine athlete. Um, awesome. Um, lovely. OK, well, I can't believe how much we've whizzed through these questions. We've got one more left. <laughs> um and I think this one is again probably a longer question but it's a very very important and very cool one um so when it comes to warming up and cooling down our agility dogs is there a one size fits all method or do you adjust what you do depending on the dog and how long should both take so in agility we can actually speak about a quite um straightforward recipe to sufficiently warm up and cool down our dogs Awesome. Because we do know that we need to segmentally warm up all body parts in all planes of motion, so meaning in all directions, um, and we do that to prepare our dogs for moves they are about to do on the agility field. And we need to do it in a way that allows a gradual increase in the heart rate and in intensity of motion. Dogs can raise their metabolic and cardiovascular activity way faster than humans. So it is believed that a short, like 15 minutes warm up, can already provide an adequate preparation time for agility purposes. And this is exactly the timing of the routine that I develop and I teach in my online warm up and cool down routine for agility course. And the exact one I use with my own dogs before each agility training sessions or before each competition run. If I move to the cooldown, there we aim to now gradually decrease the heart rate and metabolic activity. And for that, I would say taking your dog for a walk and performing a couple of short active mobility exercises is really going to be the best thing you can do in terms of optimal recovery. And again, it won't take you more than, I don't know, 10 minutes in total. And definitely this is something we can surely invest our time on. Um, but because in my field of work, there is never really a one size fits them all. Mm -hmm. I always leave, also leave room for individualization. So to be able to adapt the routine for each dog or each circumstance individually as needed. Yeah. So we can therefore definitely adapt the routine based on air temperature outside, uh, based on the arousal state of the dog. Um, based on their motivation, based on their past injuries, perhaps, um, also based on the timing in between separate runs or training sessions or, or any other circumstance that might arise. And therefore, I really do my best to also speak about some of these special considerations uh, within my courses too. Yes. And, and and from someone that's done your course, I found it so beneficial in knowing, obviously, the differences there with, you know, with the weather changes and, and you know, for the individual dog. But I couldn't believe how, like, you know, for every dog um, that, you know, the exercises we discussed in the course, how it, 
it can make such a difference for them but also you know how simple it is to actually do them um you know like I say taking them for a walk and then you know following the exercises that you discuss there are things that you can be practicing whilst queuing for a run I imagine because you know sometimes you'll you'll get to a ring there might be 10 dogs or so in front of you instead of just kind of standing and chatting to friends that's where you can be using yeah and, and leaving your dogs to just yeah rise in their arousal <clears throat> state Absolutely. I think it's much more beneficial to just keep on doing a couple of easy exercises and keep them in like you know um, um, focus loop <laughs> yes absolutely and that engagement there I guess is such a benefit for not only us but for the dog too um, and, and you know as I say the the course obviously looking at the warm-up and cool downs the exercises were so simple to to incorporate into that routine um, yeah yeah, and when you said routine, and it's so important for the engagement, mm. I, I can definitely share one one thing that happened to me in the past, um, because I was on a very small local competition, mm-hmm. and it was in our category. Like, I don't know if you can imagine, but there was there were ten of us only on the start line, mm-hmm. uh, and I was running two dogs, so that means I was for sure the number one and number ten, mm-hmm. and the runs followed immediately after the course walk. So absolutely no possibilities that I um, um, adequately warm up my first dog. Mm-hmm. So what I did, I asked my my friend who also knows how I warm up my dogs. And I said, look, can you warm up the dog for me? I will go to the course walk and I will just pick the dog and I will go to run. And she said, sure, sure. No problems, no problems. And when the course walk finished and I had like a minute to to get to the start line, I showed up with my dog, I get her ready, I positioned her on the start line, and as I looked at the judge, she had a big question mark on her head. And mm-hmm. I said like, oh, what? And she, and she just like pointed towards the other end of the course, and she said like, yeah, but the start line is over there. <laughs> so imagine what it did to me because I was missing my routine. <laughs> so That's really at, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> and at that point I really realized how much I as a handler and as a competitor am dependent on that routine because it helped me to to focus and to get myself in the better mental state um, to be able to really go on the start line and and have this you know focus on the run uh, but because I was missing it out <laughs> yeah I, yeah that's it really something yeah. that I will never forget and <laughs> probably another proof of why this routine is so beneficial not just for the dog but also for our own um, focus and confidence absolutely I think that's such a good point because as you say you know for us having that routine and for our dogs it's so beneficial but I I I, that would be something I would do I think I would be the same (laughs) Um, but I do like there that you touched and obviously there are going to be times I know I've got two young dogs that are similar age and similar sort of um position with you know the smaller shows you are running quite close together so just asking a friend who understands how to warm up your dog is so beneficial and you know you'll feel it in their benefit you know for the dog especially at this time of year when it's cold you know making sure they're warmed up even if you're kind of struggling just reaching out for help is such a good point that or if there is like no possibility that your dog would you know follow um anyone else what you can do you can also um uh, warm two of them at let's say similar time and then you have about 15 to 20 minutes of time that you can also rest your dog uh, without losing the effects of the warm-up interesting so if you're starting two dogs really close one after another uh what i do i usually warm both of them up like of about 70% of the warm-up routine, then I set my second dog aside or I put them back into a crate or or whatever. And then I continue with the first dog and finish the warm-up. I run, I do the cool down really quickly. And then I take the second dog. I complete the, the, the warm-up in the final stage. I run and then I take both dogs out for a nice walk. Uh, and I think this is what you can do if if you run like two dogs really close together. Um, so you remember that you have about 15 to 20 to 20 minutes of this time frame where you're not going to lose, uh, let's say, warm up um, benefits in like normal air temperatures. Awesome. That's really cool to know. And like I say, you know, 
even though you're going to have those issues if you've got that kind of 15 minutes before just to be able to start a warm-up and then finish it just before you're about to run that is so beneficial to know absolutely I know I'm I need to like say get my routine a bit better now I'm running more dogs um so knowing that fact is so helpful so thank you um (laughs) amazing so I don't know if there's anything else you want to add before we we wrap up you happy actually just thank you for joining us today on this podcast (laughs) thank you yeah and honestly I'm so happy um we could have this conversation because I think there's been so much information for all people who are you know agility handlers and even people just starting out knowing how to help their dogs and you know physically and but also mentally I guess as well um it's going to be make such a change hopefully for for those that don't know what they should be doing or where to start um so obviously you've got your online training which we've discussed um for people who are wanting to learn more and and understand um, more about conditioning and massage and warm-up and cool-downs where can they find that information I will put a link as well but if you want yeah to... you're, you definitely can find uh, lots of stuff on our webpage. But in fact, we also have a nice offer waiting for all of you who are listening to us today. Oh, lovely. Um, so my um, uh, invitation would be to elevate your dog's performance abilities and help reduce the risk of injuries with our online course, Agility Dynamics in Control, that is a conditioning program that is tailored specifically for agility athletes. Um, we currently have 1,600 students enrolled in our course wow. who already benefit from our easy-to-follow guided workout plans for your dog that you can simply take and incorporate in your training week. And I promise no more than 15 minutes each. So 15 minutes to improve your dog's performance abilities three times a week and help reduce the risk of uh, um, injury-related problems to the agility sport. So you will not only learn how to perform exercises that will strengthen your dog's takeoff power, deceleration abilities and improve your dog's overall body awareness, but you will also learn the whole background of how dogs move on an agility field that will help you understand your dog's optimal mechanics on the agility field. So therefore, enjoy a special 20% discount that is available only until December 31st, 2023. And simply visit our website that is going to be posted in the description of this podcast and use code AgilityRose at the checkout. So don't miss opportunity to unleash your dog's full potential and happy training. Wow, that is such a generous offer. Thank you so much. And I think I'll obviously definitely share this around for people to look at, but that is just such a generous offer. Thank you. And I'm sure hopefully um, lots of our listeners will take you up on that because that is a very, very good deal. Um, And I know, you know, for myself, I'm, you know, I've paid for your courses. I know the value for money that's there. So, you know, to have an extra 20% off is amazing. So thank you so much. Um, I do really appreciate it. (laughs) You're welcome. Um, lovely well thank you Yana for all your advice and your expertise um as I say I think this is going to be a very beneficial podcast for everyone um so yeah so thank you so much